Yeah, so one of the things that's really revolutionized our understanding of humans um, in the past few years uh, has been genome data. So I guess I should start by explaining what a genome is. So a genome mm -hmm. is like a, a, I guess a good analogy that's often used is like a book of instructions, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a book of instructions that contains all the instructions for building a, a human or whatever species. Welcome back to Adventure Radio. Uh, firstly, if this sounds a little different to our normal recording software, that's because I am uh, recording this on the fly. So um, on our way to US to do a podcast tour, actually. So you guys are going to get some epic guests coming up in the next month. Um, so stay tuned for that. Super exciting. Um, so just recording this on my little microphone on my phone at the moment. Um, so basically, guys, uh, this week's show is with Simon Ho. So Simon is uh, an awesome guy. He's an evolutionary biologist. We went up to Sydney to interview Simon and, uh, and talk about how we got to where we are, why we are the way we are, where humanity is heading, and a bunch of other really interesting um, topics all around um, us as humans, kind of, to a degree. So yeah, you're going to love it, guys. Uh, this show is brought to you by Audible. Check out audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio and uh, use uh, use that link and you'll get a 30-day free trial and one free audiobook. If you're not using Audible, guys, you are mad. I am listening to, at the moment, I just listened to Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, now I'm listening to Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Uh, it's amazing. You're able to take your knowledge, learn, read books. Well, not read books, obviously. Listen to books while you're walking your dog, um, washing the car, making your dinner, all that stuff. It's passive learning, so it's really great. So check out audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. Also, guys, we are brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel. Head to www.adventurefittravel, guys. We've got tons of trips coming up. We've got Hawaii coming up in May. Um, that's the one that we're probably most excited about right now. Um, so tons of cool stuff over in Hawaii, awesome hikes, um, stargazing at the greatest observatory on the planet, um, checking out Volcano National Park. We do some surfing. Um, it's just, it's going to be awesome. So our Hawaii trip is uh, selling fast. So get on and check out, uh, check out that. You can use a code radio at checkout for 10% off, guys. And um, yeah. Um, you're going to love it. So without further ado, here's the show. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. We are sitting here with Simon Ho, evolutionary biologist from the University of Sydney. Before we throw over and uh, get into uh, Simon telling us about himself and what he does, we are going to start off, as usual, <laughs> with Tommy's tribute. All right. Welcome aboard, Simon. Um, now, uh, you said before this is the first time we've done a podcast, and 
What a brilliant podcast you've chosen to come on to. So uh, you're going to get a tribute here, mate. And uh, don't be alarmed, but I get a bit weird in it. So, very um, be very alarmed. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. It's always very sensual. So, be alarmed. <laughs> <coughs> Evolution, baby And biology Do you believe In the almighty And if so, does it have a been I really want to know That when he dies, there's nothing in the sky. Ooh, I'm my red Saturn and Eve. <laughs> Uncomfortable yet, mate? <laughs> Did two chimps just bang each other? <laughs> Welcome aboard, mate. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> no worries. Now jump out. I'm <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, Simon. I got nothing from it. <laughs> Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Cool. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what it is that you do? Okay, so I'm actually a... Um, my title's Professor of Molecular Evolution, mm-hmm. but I'm a, I'm a computational, <laughs> computational evolutionary biologist, which means that I, I study evolution, but it's at a, a genetic level, and um, all of my work is computer-based. So right. a lot of biologists will go out into the field, you know, look at, look at animals and plants in the, in the outside world, or they'll study bacteria or viruses in the lab um, or in hospitals, um, you know, do lab work, but uh, all of my stuff's just done in front of a computer. Okay. Cool. So what was it that made you want to study this field? How did you get into um, I was always interested in, in science and yep. like evolution of life on Earth, but uh, I really got into it in university. So I actually studied here at the University of Sydney and mm-hmm. uh, really got into biology, reading the books. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, really interesting to be able to look at these kind of big picture questions. Mm-hmm. And you're always, so from a very young age, you were just, was that just your fascination? I mean, I was always fascinated when I was a kid in dinosaurs. Yeah, like I, think, I think a lot of kids, was, yeah, definitely yeah. a lot of kids really interested in dinosaurs and I kind of, you know, never really lost that fascination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely the way, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, so um, so let's, let's go into like um, evolution. So for the most part, I think I'm probably going to be talking about human evolution. I just, that's just what I, I'm interested in. So when I talk about evolution, I mean probably humans a lot of the time. Um, so how far back do we know? Like what is, what is prehistory before culture-wise? Like how far back do we know um, the evolution culturally? And then obviously we have a pretty fair grasp of evolution, like where we actually came from. Um, how far do we know what's prehistory for us as far as, um, the evolution of culture in, in uh, humans? I guess um, anything before we have records of, of mm-hmm. you know, what we did and what our life was like would be, would be prehistory. Mm-hmm. And 
it depends on how far we want to go back. We can go back all the way to when what we call modern humans first mm -hmm. arose, which is about 200,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. We can go further back to when we shared an ancestor of Neanderthals. That was mm -hmm. about half a million years ago. Or you know, back to when we split from, from our closest living relatives, uh, chimps, which mm -hmm. was six to eight million years ago. So, uh, but going back 200,000 years ago, um, what we know about that is, is from combination of genetics and archaeology. So whatever human remains we can find, skeletal remains we can find, um, like the fossils out there, mm -hmm. um, we, can, we can compare them to modern humans and see that, yeah, they're actually, we consider them modern humans. Mm -hmm. But then looking at the genetics, so when we look at genomes from humans throughout the world, we can work out when, when and where humans dispersed. Um, so we can reconstruct the, the global pattern of movement of humans. And this mm -hmm. would have, a lot of these happened way before any recorded history. Okay, cool. And we can also, with the genetic um, makeup of humans today, we can also go back and look at like where there was inbreeding, right? So like mm -hmm. with Neanderthals and, and other humans, do we, do we have, um, this is, I'm going down a strange tangent straight off the bat, <laughs> but do we have um, genetic code of, so we talk about Neanderthals, but there was many more sorts of humans 200,000 mm -hmm. years ago, right? Like five yep. or six species of humans? Am yeah, I, am yeah, I a few species of humans, yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that's really revolutionized our understanding of humans um, in the past few years uh, has been genome data. So I guess I should start by explaining what a genome is. So a genome mm -hmm. is like a, a, I guess a good analogy that's often used is like a book of instructions, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a book of instructions that contains all the instructions for building a, a human or whatever species. Yeah, idiot's guide to building a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Bang a cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's uh, yeah, that's the like what happens in practice. But on paper, the the book contains all the instructions, and and what happens is that this book gets copied over time, and each time it gets copied, mistakes get made. These are mutations, mm -hmm. and um, over time, these mutations build up, and and eventually, you'll see changes in in whatever the the book instructions produces, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more different, so, so we've got genomes from, uh, I think tens of thousands of humans now, uh, like modern humans, and some Neanderthals, and also some other of these, um, these ancient humans. Mm -hmm. And by comparing these, we can work out uh, when we had an ancestor with them, whether we share any of their DNA, um, and where we might have interacted with them. So mm -hmm. one of the really exciting things that came out um, when the Neanderthal genome was sequenced was that uh, everyone outside Africa shares uh, a few percent of DNA with Neanderthals. So there must have been some sort of interbreeding mm. with Neanderthals when, when humans left Africa, mm. um, uh, since humans left Africa. Mm. So when you talk about, um, because I always hear about, obviously there's certain parts of the world that have more percentage of Neanderthal mm. gen, uh, genome in their DNA, uh, DNA in the genome, whatever, whichever way. Obviously I'm not a scientist. Um, <laughs> But so more to DNA than Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 50% Neanderthal. But, um, but uh, so these other humans, so um, the humans that we basically, as far as I am uh, aware, we basically killed off. So how come they don't get mentioned like Neanderthals do? Like, was there lots of interbreeding with? Surely they're they're closer to us than Neanderthals. These other species of humans. What were they called? Did we breed with them? What happened to those guys? Now Neanderthals would have been the closest because yep. we 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 shared a, an ancestor of Neanderthals only about half a million years ago, which is which is pretty recent on the yeah. kind of you know, Earth's time scale. But mm -hmm. uh, there there were so. I guess Neanderthals are pretty well known because there's a lot of remains. We know that they lived throughout like Eurasia, you know, mm -hmm. Europe and, and parts of Asia. And um, some of these other humans, we don't really have much trace of them. Like um, you might have heard of the Hobbit in mm -hmm. 
in um, Southeast Asia. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> and uh, tell me that real. <laughs> well, so so with the Hobbit, this Hobbit genome. Uh, I mean, sorry, the Hobbit human. Uh, th- we haven't been able to get DNA out of it, so we we don't oh. know what the relationships of that Hobbit was to the to other humans. Oh, really? So it could yeah. just been a dwarf. Well, some people thought it was like a disease, yeah. you know, but but I think I think it does seem like this ancient human that managed to survive. It, it was a yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. And then why can't we get the genome? Because it's, oh, it's too, too hot. The remains, are, the remains are too cooked. Yeah, it's just too hot because I mean, what happens is that DNA breaks down. So so normally when we're alive, our DNA gets attacked all the time. It it, it, it there's mutations in our DNA all the time, but we have repair things that repair the DNA. But yes. when we die those repair mechanisms stop working mm. and, and the DNA just breaks down over time. So, and the hotter it is, the worse that becomes. And so mm. the best way to get DNA over a long period of time, surviving a long period of time, is, is in the ice. But, yes. but you know, where the Hobbit lives, it's just way too hot. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so when we talk about... Um, because, all right, because um, I read a book recently that talked about... Um, I think it was The Sixth Extinction. I don't know if you've heard of that book. And it talks about... Um, what humans are doing to other, mm. you know, the planet and other species all around the planet. It also talks about like what we've done to our own kin, which is obviously Neanderthals and, and all the other human species. So if Neanderthals are our closest cousin, um, so in these other human species that were around 200,000 years ago, who were they? How close were they to us? And what are the theories behind like why they're not around anymore? Yeah, so I guess there's, we're finding out new things all the time. Uh, you know, every every few weeks there's a new genome published, and we it, it kind of changes our our ideas of of you know which species we interacted with and yep. and, and how we migrated throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting interesting ones is the Denisovans, mm-hmm. and these were uh, it was it was almost like a type of Neanderthal, mm-hmm. but these are only known from a, a few teeth and a finger bone from a cave in Siberia. Jeez. Yeah, so it's it's really we don't <laughs> really well have much <laughs> we don't really have much um, like physical evidence of these, yeah. but but when when they sequenced the genome of this. Uh, Denisovan, it, it turned out that actually Denisovans contributed their DNA just to um, just to Melanesians, which are include Aboriginal Australians. So mm-hmm. only only some humans um, carry that DNA, and and more recently, some East Asians uh, are found to carry some of that um, DNA mm-hmm. as well. So the way we interacted with these is not really well known, just because we don't have many remains of these things, yep. and we don't really know where they were di- like where they were found throughout the world. I mean, mm-hmm. like these Denisovans have only, only been found in one one place so far. So when you say Denisovans, um, and you said that you had part of the jawbone, did you say some teeth, jawbone, and, teeth, and, yep. and a finger, finger bone, yeah. So, but you're able to get the genome out of those those remains, and you're able to yep. say, okay, this is where it differs, um, yeah. in in the DNA. So that's how you're able to actually say there was a fork in the road here. This is a different species of humans. Yeah, that's right. It's yep. not just like one genetic mutation of a Neanderthal or a Homo sapien. It's it's a you can tell. Yeah, that it's, the overall difference. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So. So, okay, so what happened when, because Neanderthals, everybody has that typical picture of a Neanderthal. They, they have um, big, brutish, strong, sh- sh- uh, short, stocky. Um, people obviously associate being dumber than, than humans. And, but we're the ones that made it through. Right? We, we killed them off and we did, you know, whatever we did to, to do that. What's the most recognized theory or what's your theory on why the stronger, quicker, more agile, you would think, Neanderthals who weren't super dumb why didn't they make it through instead of us how were we able to to be the ones that are sitting here today yeah so so neanderthals were really strong so 
Um, you might have heard that like the, the strongest man alive today would have been weaker than the average Neanderthal. Yeah. Um, like way weaker. Yeah. Uh, but it's really to do with intelligence, right? So, so modern humans, we we had these uh, mutations and were able to evolve this higher intelligence, and and that would have been a big advantage over just simple physical strength, and that would have enabled us to outcompete these Neanderthals. Okay, so, so the strongest man alive today would be weaker than the average Neanderthal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But the strongest man alive, like Brian Shaw or yeah. whatever, <laughs> be able to lift like what a thousand kilo deadlift? Or, no, thousand like thousand pound deadlift. Seven hundred kilo no, deadlift. Right. But but like let's say like a chimpanzee, the chimpanzees per per inch of, of muscle or whatever uh, per square inch of muscle are like five times stronger than us. Is that right? I don't know the exact. But like amount, but, yeah, yeah, but it's but they're they're incredibly stronger than yeah, us, right? Okay, yeah. They could pretty much pull our arms out of our sockets. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you think of like in between, you know, uh, obviously they're much stronger yeah. than us. But so when you talk about, yeah. um, this is probably nearly nearly one of the bigger questions that I, that I wanted to ask you and you just touched on it there, I suppose, is so obviously our ability to cooperate and our stronger or more powerful brains are why we, we made it through, you know. <laughs> but, but is, so talk to me about the great leap forward what happened there? Why? Why are we again? Why are we sitting here recording this podcast? And the chimpanzees, our, our closest relatives, the, the bonobos, all these you know things that are genetically ninety eight percent similar to us. Why are they still living in the trees? Why are we sitting here discussing philosophy and recording podcasts and sending rockets to Mars? Like, what? What's your? What's the most? Coherent theory on the Great Leap Forward. How? Like, what's how? I don't know if there's a coherent theory. I mean, there's a lot mm. of explanations for it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's the way we evolve societies. We're we're able to um, have this. We have this higher intelligence that enables us to to um, overcome a lot of our shortcomings by you know through technology and medicine. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us a huge advantage. And once that, once that happens, you know, keeps on on yeah. carrying on. And uh, there's probably a bit of chance element involved in there as well. So okay, so. I think I'm with you, and I think like obviously the societal structures and obviously working together, cooperating, science, technology, and stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's where it's gotten us from, like um, from point, let's say C to D. But what got us from point A to B? Like what what when we were at the same level basically as the chimps, and I mean, you know, we uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. We obviously knew uh, understood how to harness fire. Mm-hmm. Obviously, and chimpanzees haven't, haven't been able to do that. A lot of people talk about... And again, this is all stuff that I've just read somewhere, heard on a, something, whatever. So it's all just... I'm just saying words. But um, is a lot of it maybe is attributed to, correct from wrong, fire, and then therefore harnessing like, the ability to eat a lot more meat and to, to physically pro- like progress so much that... Like, we're at the point A to B where we split in the road... Mm-hmm. Like, what are the prevailing theories on why we... Because we're just... We're, we're so far and away more intelligent than our closest relative, mm-hmm. you know? And at one point, we would have been on the same level. Yeah, I guess it's really uh, uh, having an environment where those, uh, those slight improvements in intelligence have, have a big advantage. So mm-hmm. in a society where... where you know, members of the society evolve higher intelligence, that will benefit the whole society. Um, but... Uh, the way these start is often by chance, right? Because you have these because mutations occur pretty much randomly through the genome, mm-hmm. and some of those will be really beneficial. Most of them will be a bit harmful. 
but just by chance there might be a, a, a mutation that's really beneficial that, in, that, that improves our cognitive ability for, in some way mm -hmm. and that will get carried away and um, the people who the, the person who evolves that who, who, who has that mutation will on average have more children and then that all mm. um, that sort of feature will, will carry on through the generations so mm. There's probably a, some sort of uh, element of chance, but also the selective pressure from the environment. So what's interesting to me, just quickly, Simon, um, just with related to what you said about, you know, healthier, um, going to have more children, all that sort of stuff, is that what we're noticing today with um, modern homo sapiens um, is that the more intelligent we get, the more reason people kind of have to stay in their jobs and maybe reproduce a little less and all this sort of stuff. Um, I've often wondered about that. Is it like the you know, the way we're going where it's kind of, and this is probably a little bit stereotypical to say, but is it, um, you know, the, the people that are probably maybe less educated, I don't know, or from a, from a lower socioeconomic background that they, they tend to just sort of repopulate at a greater rate than people that are more focused on their jobs and all this sort of stuff. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with intelligence, but like, is that a factor as to why, um, was that a factor in, in, in from us getting here? I don't know. I think you're, you're kind of opening a can of worms there. I am, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am, yeah. yeah. Very serious but, but, I mean, controversial what, what, can of what worms. We do, what we do see is that in, in developed countries, you, you see people having children later, yeah. having fewer children. Yeah. And so I guess on average, I mean, you would see that sort of pattern throughout the world. Yeah. 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 And, and, and would that have uh, influenced our evolution as well? Like, um, Yeah, maybe. I yeah. mean, uh, the evolution can happen over pretty short periods of time, but not, not really in that sort of uh, time frame that you're talking about. Right. So, so some of the best examples yes. of, of evolution in, in humans are, um, one of them is, is our ability to digest lactose, right? So being able to, um, as adults, because normally, um, you know, children, we can, we can digest milk, but then when we grow up into adults, um, uh, a lot of us can't digest lactose anymore, so we can, we're lactose intolerant. But one of the big things that happened over the past 10,000 years, so 10,000 years ago, humans domesticated a bunch of animals, like including cattle and, yes. and whatever, and... Uh, being able to digest the milk from those cows um, would have given us a, a reliable source of energy and nutrition. Yes. And so there was a, a big advantage to being able to digest that as an adult. And so that ability to digest the lactose really increased in frequency just over a few thousand years. And now you know, a lot of people in, in um, parts of Europe and parts of uh, the Middle East can digest uh, lactose as adults, um, mm. less so in parts of Africa and Asia. But that's uh, another really good example is um, is humans adapting to life at high altitude. Yep. Yep. So in Tibet, so there was a there was a genome study of Tibetans versus um, people from other parts of China, and uh, what they found was that within three thousand years, um, they were able to uh, evolve these adapt to the high altitude, so they can live in these low oxygen environments, and that happened over only over a few thousand years as well. Yeah. Jeez. So um, what about the fact that um, this is. And I really want to stick to humans, but just while we're on the point here of like forcing evolution or, or rapid evolution, like you say, 3,000 years for, for the Tibetans, what about, um, what about the evolution of the wolf into the dog? Like I have a sausage dog, right? a little <laughs> Dachshund, a little long-haired, cutest little thing you've ever seen. Yep. And then he walks past a Great Dane in the street. Yep. Forgive me if I'm wrong, 10,000 years ago, they're, 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 they're a species of wolves. They're just wolves. Yeah, yeah. So, and we forced the evolution on... on so how did... How does in 10,000 years evolution move that fast to you see, you see a pug, a French bulldog, uh, uh, yeah. you know, all these different species of dogs that 10,000 years ago, which is literally the blink of an eye, mm -hmm. like how come... But a lot of that we caused. Like we, we, yeah, that's what I mean. That's we, what I'm talking about. But we bred them together and stuff. Yeah. And, yes. But, yeah. but, but how, does, how did that happen so quickly? 
Surely we weren't breeding designer dogs. No, no, but, but dogs. Designer dogs have only been a thing for like two hundred years, you know. Yeah, hundred years. Designer dogs, but like we, we real dogs probably uh, wolves probably would have realised that by befriending humans, it was probably the humans, uh, the dogs befriending the humans that they'd be able to get all our scraps. Uh, yeah, that happened. But I mean, why do they? Why do they? Why are they so different dogs? You know, yeah, so many That's species. Right. But like, how did? Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, so I mean. Back in the past, it would have been helpful to have these dogs, uh, you know, accompany humans, um, benefit for the for the wolves, as you as you mm-hmm. as you say. Yeah. But also for for humans, you know, companion animals oh, that can yeah. help mm-hmm. to to hunt um, and prey. Yep. yep. And uh, I think the the current view is that dogs were actually domesticated in a few different places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of roughly around the same time. But um, th- what what you're talking about is is artificial selection, and that's what we do with domestic animals, where we see something that we like, like a certain shape of dog or whatever. Yes. And then we 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 um, try to find dogs that are similar with that with that interesting shape, or or that um, we focus on that dog with interesting shape, and we try to um, make it breed more so that we get more offspring. And we keep doing that over many generations. Dachshund's a perfect example. It's a badger hound. It was bred for it was bred for um, hunting badgers because mm-hmm. it was the shape that it could fit in a in a badger hole, I suppose. So that's like an example of like a dog that was. Uh, bred for one mm. specific specific purpose, I suppose. And and I, I, what happens is that they will tend to keep breeding it with close relatives because they're the ones that share those those features that we're looking at, looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of these breeds have have genetic problems because there there's a lot of inbreeding. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah. So that that sort of thing probably wouldn't happen. You know, nowhere near to that extent in the wild. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I want to know why inbreeding is such an issue and what that does to DNA. Uh, it's caused a lot of lot of harmful mutations. So so in our genomes, we have two copies of every gene. Uh, it's what's called a diploid genome. And um, some diseases are caused by us having two copies of this bad mutation. But often, many, well, many of us carry only like one of those copies, right? Yep. So we have one good copy of the gene and one, one copy with the harmful mutation. But then if you have a family where, where each person's carrying one copy of this bad mutation and um, another copy of the gene, that's fine. If you, if you have children together, like with a close relative, the chances of the child inheriting those two bad mutations from one from each parent is 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 much higher mm. and so if that child has two copies of the bad mutation then that that might cause you know problems for 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 growth and development and so it doesn't sound like those bad mutation genes are recessive and they sound like they're quite dominant uh no well in that case it's recessive because they don't show when there's only one copy oh yes sorry when, yes, yeah. yes 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 yeah. and so then well okay well then it sounds like it has a um continually increasing negative effect the more you inbreed yeah yeah right okay that's fascinating Mm. So going back to um, going back to humanity and uh, and the the great leap forward and stuff. So we obviously um, branched off. We became the the leading um, or the the most powerful the big dogs. ape ape on the planet, basically yeah. monkey on the planet. So I'm still uh, um, yeah. So and then we got to the agricultural revolution. Mm-hmm. So in that period of time, so. Considering that we were hunter-gatherers, we lived off the land, we lived in small tribes, whatever, and now we're living in cities with billions and billions and billions of people, how is that affecting the way that we live as humans? Because surely we're fighting against our evolution, right? Yeah, one thing that's, um, that's really changed with all this technology and medicine is that a lot of the things that might have killed us in the past are no longer you know, it's not as much of a problem anymore. So one of the, one of the big examples is, um, is like the birth weight of babies, right? So, so a long time ago, babies that were born with really low weight or really high weight had a, were less likely to survive. But mm-hmm. now it's, it's basically flat, like that probability, no matter what weight 
uh, almost no matter what birth weight you are, um, you have a fairly good chance of survival. That's because of medicine and, and technology. Mm-hmm. And so what, what all that technology and, and living in cities and everything in the, in the safe environment is doing is that it's actually removing a lot of those factors that would have caused natural selection in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's going to be interesting for human evolution into the future. And that's what makes it so hard to predict what's going to happen, I think. So what about, um, what about the fact that, so um, when we were hunter-gatherers, for example, and again, just stuff that I've read in books and, <laughs> and like, I don't, I haven't started anything. I'm just, um, I said in the last podcast we recorded, like I'm just bro-sciencing, you know, <laughs> the majority of this. Yep. But um, is it true that from all the studies that, that, that we are able to do and, and looking at hunter-gatherer tribes today and like looking at what people ate um, from their skeletal remains, whatever, with, with pre-agriculture, mm-hmm. is it true that, Humans worked less, had a better diet, were taller, were healthier. I know we didn't live as long, but that was like science is the reason and, and early and death in childbirth and stuff like that bring the average right down. Mm. Like how do um, pre-agricultural humans culturally, you know, were they in a better situation? How did they eat? How healthy were they? Because, yeah, it's it's... Well, that's my question. Yeah, okay. So, so I, I guess um, when, you, when you say if it's a better diet or not, uh, it depends, I guess it depends on what you mean by better diet, right? Because it would have been a different diet for sure. I mean, I guess it's better in the sense that they wouldn't have eaten as much you know, sugar and, mm. and things that we don't really need. Um, not much of a, as, as much of an imbalance. But on the other hand, they would have had um, less reliable source of food. So they would mm. have had, you know, gorged on food when they had a, a kill or whatever. Mm. And other times they would have, you know, starved. So... I don't know if it's 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 better. Maybe in some respects, but um, uh, sorry, what was the other part of the question? So no, just <laughs> that's so, more about just abundance, so, though. Yep. Isn't no, no, it? Just, yep. just so, just so, um, because, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Pre-agricultural humans were mm-hmm. taller than than humans today. Is that is that correct or incorrect? Um, or is it is it a bit grey area? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know actually. Okay, I mean, it's so, probably known, but yeah, I'm not sure. So so um, because. Obviously, in t- today, in the day and age we're in, we're in now, like we don't. Let's be honest. Like a lot of the world have a have a pretty well, you know, well, like a pretty well-rounded diet, and mm-hmm. and obviously there's more food across the board for mm-hmm. the most part for people. But from from the foraging diet of like picking up crickets and like picking up mm-hmm. berries and fruits or whatever, my understanding was that hunter gatherers lived really well. Mm-hmm. My, my question, the, the question that I'm that I'm leaning towards, like is I feel like the agricultural revolution, I feel like it might not have been a step in the right direction. I guess having a reliable source of food would, would free up your time to do other things, right? So to develop um, technology, all those sort of innovations, which, which would lead to the, the kind of world we have today. But um, yeah, we would have been a lot more active in the past, I think, because mm. we would have had to spend a lot of our time getting food, mm. um, you know, dealing with, with predators, Mm. Uh, whereas a lot of those stresses are gone now. So I think, I think it's good in the sense that we have a lot more time to devote to innovation now. Mm. And I think that's, the diet might not be perfect, but um, mm. I think that freeing up of the time would have been a big factor. Yeah. But so, wasn't the diet like, I mean, the diet hasn't necessarily, isn't necessarily healthier though, is it? Because a lot of the things that, I mean, we've evolved a certain way, mm. but agriculture is obviously a very, very recent thing mm. along the spectrum or yep. along the timeline. So I mean, like, a lot of people having tolerances to dairy and meat for some things. And I yeah. mean, like, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, this kind of goes back to the example that I, ha- that I mentioned about the lactase yeah. persistence into, into, into adulthood. Yeah. And um, so 
domesticating animals and plants like about 10,000 years ago, that would have um, been pretty different, a big, had a big impact on our diet. Massive. Yeah, and, and in some cases, humans have evolved to deal with that, like, like evolving the ability to di- digest the lactose. So, e- even in the past 10,000 years? Yeah, yeah, right. even, yeah, even over that sort of time frame. Yep. So I think even though the diet's changed, um, we, in some ways, uh, we've, we've responded to that. Okay, sure. Um, and then, so, uh, I do have a question with this, but why do we have an appendix? I guess there are a lot of a lot of um, remnants of our evolutionary past yes. that we still have, and uh, it's just like saying seeing whales with those you know those vestigial limb bones where they they've lost their hind legs but they still have those bones there. Yeah, and so it, it could just be a, a so one of the. Um, things we shouldn't do is to read this kind of adaptive reasoning for every feature of of um of our bodies or really yeah okay so not everything that we have in our body right now is currently uh the best example of natural selection no so well i, I wouldn't i wouldn't put it that way i, I would more say that a lot of the feature that our features are not necessarily good or bad for us they're just really? there. so so this is one of um stephen jay gould's ideas so yep. he's a yeah, popular science writer yes um so he he criticised what he called the adaptationist program, which really? is um, yeah. So he was saying. So he, his example was. Um, so he he actually referred to this cathedral in in Venice, uh, called um, Saint Mark's Cathedral. Yep. And in in the cathedral, there's these. Uh, well, he actually made a mistake, but um, what he meant to refer to was these domes, right? So if you have a dome, and you, imagine you've got a dome, and you've got a column on each corner of that of that dome, right? Yep. And uh, where the columns meet the dome, you've got this curved surface. And in, in the cathedral, there are these paintings on those, on those curved surfaces. And so the, if you were saying, okay, what's, why are those curved surfaces there? Well, they're there because they've got nice pictures on them, right? But actually, that's not the reason. The reason no. why they're there is because that's just what happens when you put a dome on columns. And so he, he compared this to why do we have chins, right? And, well, the chin doesn't have any function. It's just, it just happens to be because the way that our torso develops compared to our head, we naturally get these these chins as part of our, yes. our physiology. Yeah, yeah but that, I mean, the chin is still a function of natural selection, though. Well, it's, it's, it's more like a byproduct of selection on, on other things. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, okay, okay. You I had fight, s- a, fight a line off with the chin? Well, no, but I just, <laughs> I just assume that... I'm so, just joking. So, so, he, so he was saying that this is not the best example of natural selection in a sense, then? Well... Um, but for the chin to work, I mean, like, this, this is a very good mechanism yep. for natural selection and we needed a chin because of that yeah but I, I guess you could you could think about other animals that are able to eat you know without any problems but they don't have a chin right yeah <laughs> yeah but like the but mouth the mouth is very important yeah the, the mouth, mouth is, is important, important. Yeah. And, the, and, the, yeah. and the the jaw yep but the chin in particular the chin is particular. just a byproduct of of, of the rest of our body and how it, how our head sits on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. But I mean, yeah. but everything else, but the way, but again, like, okay, fair enough. Yep, okay, I say that. Mm. Um, so going back to like, um, I just get fascinated by the whole agriculture revolution. We're just basically going to sit you down. <laughs> We're going to torment you for about 50 minutes. We want all these questions answered. Uh-huh. So who do you like? <laughs> so with the, um, with the agriculture revolution, like before, before um, and going back to, you know, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, like obviously we're able to you know have time for science and art and we're able to mm-hmm. um live longer and we're able to fly rock to the, to, to the moon to mars whatever but what about the fact that like um what are your thoughts on the fact that before this point in time like this point in time right now 
We all go home. We're segregated in little apartments, living in big packed cities, people mm. all around us. Like, obviously, Dunbar's number, correct, that's 150 people, is like the, what people are supposed to kind of mm. uh, live in. And at that point, we were hunter gatherers and we were living in these tribes of up to 150 people. You were surrounded by like your friends, your family. Mm-hmm. You had more leisure time, like there was less, less working. I mean, and then the agricultural revolution happened, and now we are where we are, where we have, we live crammed in these little mm-hmm. fucking boxes in, in shitty cities. We never see our family. We work like fucking idiots. We're <laughs> addicted to these little fucking pieces of. Technology that we Bill's carry going, He's going on here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just feel like I love science and art and what mm-hmm. the agricultural revolution has created. But, and I know we can't go and talk to a pre-agriculture mm-hmm. human and say, hey, how happy were you guys? Out of 10, give us mm-hmm. a scale. Like, but what are your thoughts on like how, and I know this isn't evolution, it's more culture or whatever, but what are your thoughts on how hunter-gatherers lived their happiness levels, how they did things compared to the society that we found ourselves in now. Well, I think that, you know, working out how happy you are, I mean, it's, it's really subjective, right? It yeah. depends on, on a whole range of factors. I mean, a lot of people now would, would say that they're not really happy with life, but That's right. in fact, we're, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's much safer than it was a long mm-hmm. time ago. Mm-hmm. We have um, a lot of choice. We're free to eat a lot of foods and we have reliable food. Where We don't have to worry too much about predators. We don't have to worry about you know, a lot of diseases, mm-hmm. um, all those causes of mortality a lot of those ones in the past are gone now mm-hmm. but in terms of like connectedness i mean even though we're, we're more isolated now we're also more connected through through the internet mm-hmm. and i don't know if you remember the pre-internet days but i mean I uh, do, believe it or not <laughs> turn 32 today <laughs> yeah so, so it's, yeah so we're, we're really connected now even though we're physically isolated but we're still socially connected in yeah. a, just a different way see this is what i think about that right back back then it was an immediate return environment we, we were animals we're just, I mean, we are now, but we like their 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 only sole purpose, and so their only purpose and their sole purpose was to survive. So from the moment they wake up to the moment they fall asleep, they're thinking about survival, how to you know repopulate, you know get food, you know make sure they're safe from animals, all this sort of stuff. That's the only thing they thought about it. Now, in a much less dangerous environment, we actually have the opportunity to ask ourselves, are we happy? They didn't even have that opportunity. They didn't have the time because they were always thinking about survival. So off that fact alone, I guess we could probably say that we are, you know? We are what? We're happier. Yeah, I don't think we can say that. I think, and, and like, I mean, hunter-gatherers were, were supposed to have had more time than us in their day. Mm-hmm. Foraging, foraging was supposed to be like a 30, because there's, tr- there's tribes in, uh, in hunter-gatherer societies that still exist today that, and then with studies or whatever, that, that we work like 36 hours. You know, that's actually like the average, I think, worldwide. It's kind of like 36, 40 hours is what yeah. we work. And hunter-gatherers were said to have worked like 32 hours, 30, 30, 32 hours. So they had more free time. So Free time to consistently think about survival, though. No, but we don't, we don't know if that was the case. Like, they were surrounded by their... But how could it their, not have been? Fr- well, I mean, they, they weren't always under constant pressure of death. It's not like, it's not like at every point of the day there was 10 lions chasing them. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure. And they had, like, although they were... You know, they would move from place to place and, and they would need to move and find mm. food. Like, they, were, they obviously did it for hundreds of thousands of years, yeah. and millions of years. They were pretty refined at it. Like, yeah. they knew what they were doing. So, um, I just wonder... So, let's put a different sw- spin, on, spin on things. Like, there's so many people that are so unhealthy. Like, so, like let's say, like, the, the average diet that people eat today... And sitting at a desk for however many hours a day. No offense, Simon. Lack of, lack, of, <laughs> lack, of, lack of sunrise, isolation. Like, what are your thoughts on, like, 
you know, are we able to evolve at the rate that society's changed and, and our lives have changed? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard to say because, I mean, technology is changing really mm. quickly and, mm. you know, a lot of that's positive and, and some, of the, some of the effects, as you say, are, are probably negative on, on, our, on our well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we're able to change, you know, well, certainly from an evolutionary point of view, we're not going to change that quickly. Yeah. yeah. I just think going back on, I just, yeah, look, going back on the point of are we happy and all this sort of stuff, uh, we can use the, we can use the um, topic of anxiety, right? So anxiety, a, uh, an evolutionary involved emotion to keep us safe, stress um, function of the amygdala in the brain. Um, back then, whatever, they, we work for 32 hours a week. We have 36 hours a week on average, whatever. They're still, they're still in a more dangerous environment. So their stress hormones um, and their, their thought process and physical symptoms are still probably more integrated and related to the act of survival. And if we think about um, cortisone, cortisol um, in our body now, what that does, it suppresses hormone, human growth hormones, suppresses all these things. It, it, it makes it harder for us to feel the hormones of what we would normally constitute as pleasure or happiness. It would just, it just makes sense to me that purely on like a linear scale, like the, you know, the more anxiety you have, the less happy you are, and the, the less anxiety you have, the more happy you are. I just, I just, I just assume that, you know, irrespective of the fact their lives were simpler back then and, you know, yada, 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 they just were more stressed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. At a, a guess, they may have been. Yeah, well, they would have I mean, had to have been. No, but I mean, but think of it right now, like, like, just think of it, think of it, and, and I may be wrong too. We're, yeah. we're, we're yeah, both we're just, just, throwing, just throwing ideas out yeah. there, but like, if you get on a plane... You, you, there's a chance that you could die. You walk across the street. There's a there's a chance that you could die. If the chances the chances of dying on a, on a, in a plane are like one in a million, right? Yeah. Very very limited. But like if you're a, if you're a human and you're kicking around in the in the in the fucking in Africa, like surely it's not like it's like being a fish in the ocean, right? Every fish in the ocean is a way that a shark's going to bite it and kill it in every every second. Mm-hmm. Of the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're part of a pretty well-rounded ecosystem. Like sure there would be, I reckon there would be. Um, predators and stuff that you got to worry about and mm. the time would come you have to fend for yourselves and whatever but surely they weren't like just fighting off lions and kicking tigers and punching no, elephants not all, not all the time but I feel like they're, and then I'll, I'll let you jump in sorry but, but like generally speaking they were probably more aware of the need to survive than, than mm. we are and you can look at it from two examples like right now we're, we're in a room now that's air conditioned to a Minus fucking four million degrees here, <laughs> but we're quite safe. So yeah. our our natural rational anxiety is quite low because we we're not in a stressed environment for the mm. need to survive. You can speak to a, you know, if you measure the stress hormones um, or the anxiety level of a, a young child um, in Raqqa right now or in Syria. Well, Raqqa is Syria, I believe. Um, Why do you keep saying Raqqa? I don't know. I'm just fascinated by it now. <laughs> mean, or, or the Middle Iraq. East right now. You mean Iraq? Yeah, no, no, Raqqa, Raqqa. Um, I don't know where Raqqa is. I believe it's in Syria. Do you know? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It is in oh, Syria. Right. Yeah, it's in Syria. I believe it is in Syria. I thought you were meaning uh, making a nickname for Iraq. No, no, no. <laughs> you're in Iraq City. Why do you call it Iraq? Huh? Iraq. Do you call it Iraq? Iraq. Or Iraq. 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 Yeah. 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 Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> so I am less stressed than someone over there. Someone in the Middle East in, in a war-torn country, right? I am less stressed, I believe, than, than someone living pre-agriculture who didn't couldn't build all these walls and couldn't have all these survival mechanisms just all very well catered for. It just makes very clear sense to me that I have more of a potential to be happier than those other people. 
it also depends on what, what makes you happy, right? Because now yeah. what makes us happy is Safety not just... Safety, mate. Well, <laughs> that, that's we, but we take that for granted, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah. That's the thing, because back then, that would have been a really pressing issue, whereas now, we don't, have, we don't worry about that, so we, didn't even, we could take it for granted. We're not, we're not automatically happy that we're safe we're, we're, because we're, it's something that we're just used to. You know, um, really you, know, you, know um, you know, have you read Tribe by Sebastian Junger? No. So Tribe talks about um, tribes, basically. It's nearly as good as Sapiens. Sapiens is my favorite book on evolution, culture, yeah. society, whatever. Tribe talks about the fact that in, say, like um, World War II in London, it's the same as um, 9-11, right? So yeah. um, 9-11 was a perfect example. After 9-11 happened and the same thing after the World War or when the, when the bombs were getting dropped in, in all areas in, during World War II. Night raids. The, 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 um, the level of happiness of the people living in those places that were getting bombed was the highest it's ever been mm-hmm. ever been recorded because people would band together people were working together as a society all the superfluous fluff all the bullshit wasn't important it. Yeah. wasn't important you know and that's what they, they talk about that in, in the most recent cases 9-11 they talk about the two years after 9-11 people were stopping the street to talk to each other how are you tell me like you know the, the place was buzzing because people were uh, stripped back to like the survival bear mode. it's mm. a survival mode and, and they were you know having to lean on each other because, you know, happiness is like having friendship bonds, you know, stuff that you're, mm. um, stuff that you're striving, to and striving to do together or yep, help each yep, other. Yep. And survival is like the key. So playing devil's advocate, and that's all we're doing. We're just, we're just making up theories. But, like, they might have been happier than ever because they got lions chasing them down. That's, like, I, ha- I do not have a rebuttal for that. That's <laughs> yeah, really... You should, this, this book, tri- Tribe by Sebastian, Sebastian Younger, is one of the most fascinating... Books. It talks about an, a different range of like a number of different things that, that talk to the point of, and this is my biggest point and, and, and questioning behind this whole thing is the agricultural revolution is, is it good or bad? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. another example of, um, actually there's countless examples, but like one thread in the book Tribe, which talks about the fact that when um, the Spanish, for example, went and conquered um, Mexico and yep. Central, Central and South America, um, there was a lot of... Um, in, uh, Mayan, Mayan children that were taken into Spanish um, families, right? Yep. And then there was lots of Spanish kids that were stolen uh, and taken into indigenous Mayan societies as well. So every time that it happened that uh, an indigenous Mayan child or, or person as yep. or an adult would go into live with the Spanish yep. under their rule and, and live the, the Western um, culture... Every time that they would have a chance to sit down with like a tribal elder, they would go back to the tribe mm. after one conversation. There was never a case of them staying and living with the Spanish. Mm. On the other case, every time that somebody went from the Spanish and lived with the Mayans, lived, lived a, a, more of a subsistence, more of a natural lifestyle, they could never bring them back. Really? There's so many cases, there's so many cases of, um, of Spanish not getting, and this is adults, yeah. not getting taken as kids and going, oh, you know, I've been taken as a kid, but I want to stay with these guys because mm. mm. their lifestyle is better. There was countless, countless, countless cases of the Spanish defecting, going, I've seen what these guys are doing over here. I'm fucking going to do that. Mm. I'm not living, I'm, this, this is shit over here. Mm. This, is, this is how it should be. Mm. So this is like to the point of like agricultural revolution. I mean, obviously the Mains had agriculture. I get that. But it's more of a it's more of a small societal bond than we have in in yep. the West now. Basically, more primitive. To, yeah, more more primitive mm. slightly without being you know, rude. Yeah, weird. You know what I mean? Like, what are your Shit. thoughts on on like 
that a bunch of bullshit I just talked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. I mean, I, it sounds like uh, you've you've got a pretty convincing kind of. <laughs> I didn't crazy. make the argument. You've got a good summary. You've got a good summary. Good summary. Good summary. Yeah. 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 Well, I just think it makes sense <laughs> because it sounds it sounds like that way of life is probably more natural to the way we've evolved. Mm. It's got to be it. Yeah. So with okay. So what about with like um what about and this is just throwing um again like hypothesis out there. So how how do you think um, humans will continue to evolve? Like with the surroundings around us, like what what are we going to look like in in hundreds of years with the lifestyle that we're in now? Mm-hmm. Like how are we changing and what what evolutionary over time if we stay the way we are now? Like what are the things that are, that are going to happen? Yeah, I think I've I've read a few different ideas about this, but uh, nothing's really that convincing because it, it, there's just so much uncertainty, mm. and the role of technology is going to change so much. Mm. Um, and it also depends on what's going to happen with the with the environment, or like a global change, mm-hmm. whether the climate's going to you know change, or we, you know how 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 much it's going to change, mm-hmm. um, whether we make a lot of species extinct, and uh, all of those things will affect the kind of course of evolution. But I, I think it's hard to see what what will happen uh, what what's even happening on short t- just short time scales just because evolution usually happens fairly slowly i mean mm. if we look at humans over a few generations we don't really see much change but mm. um you know when we're looking at thousands of years we do see that change and um in some recent studies so now now we have genomes from tens of thousands of humans and there was a really big study just a couple of years ago um looking at any changes in across this huge panel of 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 human genomes and one thing that they found was that there's um, our population has just been removing these mutations that shorten our lives. And so what is happening, what has been happening over a period of time is that, is that all these mutations that, that cause us to die early, they've been like, removed from the, from the gene pool. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe our, our, our lifespans will continue to, to increase, not just from nutrition, but, but possibly through these um, genetic factors. Mm, yeah. Right. Mm, mm. I think it'll be quite fascinating when we have like computer chips in our head augmented intelligence yeah, it definitely yeah. seems like it's going that way like <laughs> yeah. we're, we're pretty much already we're not, are yeah, connected we're not far off from well, yeah. Yeah. This, this is always around all yeah. of one of us what's to say how, how big of a difference is it to just put put that in your brain you know oh yeah yeah that's right yeah I just like to implant it yeah. yeah yeah exactly so this is where this is where um, and I don't know if we talked about this the other day on a podcast or if we talked about this just in general or whatever maybe we haven't talked about this at all but uh, and this is like not really evolution but it's just an interesting thing to get your thoughts on like if we go to the fact where you know in however many years that we're going to have um, we're going to have intelligence in our brains I know we've got it in our phones but like that we can you know get a Google chip you know in your head and you can process things at the speed of a computer can look up something or process something when that happens I believe and this is a fucking horrible thing to say but I believe that will be the point where humans will take the fork in the road and there'll be homo sapiens which is like you know the not the west and you know people that don't have money and as technology and technology that the west has they will stay homo sapiens and then there'll be a fork in the road and we'll get so that's neanderthals sapiens where yeah, we're extinct at the- yeah that'll be looking back if we survive have a long have a long like that'll be the point in history people will like go that's where we changed that's where you know? we the, the homo sapiens became extinct well, it didn't become extinct. I think... Well, we advanced further up to... Yeah, we're different. No, no. I mean, people with access to these technologies will have a big advantage, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, we'll, yes. we'll still be homo sapiens, but that'll be as unfortunate. And I, f- I feel like this is, like, not racist, but, like, species... I feel, I feel like it's a horrible thing for me to say, but, but it's just 
an idea. Like, uh, there'll still be Homo sapiens, but the West, who has access, money, and like, yeah. and, and whatever to, to greed power, yeah, to be to be these superhumans, basically. But in, in many ways, we already are. Yeah, I know, but uh, but not to the same degree. You know, that, I think when we get to the point where we have fully taken on computer intelligence in our heads, you know, like it's obviously it's it's, it's sci-fi, but it's sci-fi that's going to happen in the next fifty years, you know. That'll be, I reckon, the point where like humans will divulge and say, "Here's Homo, here's Homo sapiens." Still, I don't think they're going to go extinct because that means all the smart people with the yeah. computer chips would just go kill all the other people. Yeah, like, yeah. that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, but it's where the people with the computer chips in their brains will be so much more powerful and tread a different path evolutionarily mm. than. But do you Homo don't feel sapiens, like that right? fork in the road's already happened? No, I don't. Really? No, I don't. But so all all of the non-Western cultures mm. who don't have access to the internet you're saying they're a different species already no they're not different <laughs> well, that's what you just said no but you no, but you didn't say that you, you didn't say that we'll become a different species no you, I did you, that's you, what I was saying but fork in the road homo sapiens and another and disadvantaged another no no I mean homo sapiens stay homo sapiens okay. is that a different species or a different like sub branch of species or whatever uh, homo sa- like homo erectus to homo oh, sapiens yeah, yeah, different species different, yeah. yeah yeah different species yeah, so yeah. No, that's precisely what I was saying homo, yeah. homo sapiens and homo um, Futuralis. Okay, for example. But, but, to make but, up a but two name. things that having a chip in our brain won't change our DNA, so we won't be yeah. changing so as we, a species. Yeah. So if you talk about evolution, I mean, it has to have a change in the yeah. in the genome, and mm-hmm. that has to be carried on through time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that is so when when species form, there has to be some sort of like reduction in in the kind of genetic exchange or interbreeding between the two, right? So mm-hmm. there has to be some way for for that. That that kind of transfer of individuals to to stop happening, and mm-hmm. that would take a very long time in in the human population, just because we're we're kind of you know there's so much yeah so global now yeah that's right the, the, but yeah but there'll so, be no change in the species because we'll always have to implant chips. Uh, yeah, but if you have, for example, imagine imagine culturally, societally, or whatever, the, like the people that have this just superhuman brain power. Mm. Like and the, and this this line doesn't. Yeah. Then surely that line. I know it's not at that point in time when we implant the chips. That's not. That's not the change in species. But if you think of like the 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 drip of water where the Amazon tri- tributary where the Amazon starts from, it starts from somewhere. So my theory is like that's where it would start. That we'd go down a different path. Like because. Yeah. Fuck. I don't know. No. No. That, <laughs> no. So like. So would it would it be the case where the chip would eventually evolve into something that changes our DNA. I think uh, the, the chip would, would change us because it would, it would alter our, our reproduction. So, so the, way, the way that evolution happens is, is the change in reproductive success, right? So the, any, any, any mutation that, that helps you have more children and for those children to have more children, yep. that's going to increase, that's going to pa- be passed on, that's going to yep. increase that mutation in the population. And, um, you know, if, if you have this chip that gives you all these, like, superhuman powers yeah. or, or superhuman knowledge, then that would be that kind of advantage. But that might override any genetic deficiencies you might have, right? Yeah. So if you're born, you know, with very low intelligence, but you have this chip yes. that gives you the super intelligence, then, then you would um, maybe be more likely to leave, um, you know, more, more children than you normally would. Yeah, so, so, the, so the chip would change the behavior, essentially, mm-hmm. which would then probably... Force evolution, maybe. It, which the behavior would change the evolution because... The, you would essentially be making better better decisions, mm-hmm. but but I, see, but, but this is what I think, right? Because again, going back to that thing of more 
advanced or, uh, you know, societies in this day and age with, with access to greater, um, greater knowledge and, and technology and all that sort of stuff tend not to tend to reproduce later in life and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I feel like that chip as well would do the same thing. And so we actually wouldn't be repopulating and repopulating and repopulating. I think, I think the other thing to, to think about is, is how this technology will spread throughout the world, whether it will be a more like equitable distribution of the technology of these benefits or not. Mm. And, you know, if it's going to, if the inequality is going to continue or increase, then that will just get worse. But um, I don't know, maybe there'll be a, revolution <laughs> yeah but do you think it will like do you think the technology will spread around the world like going by the current trend uh, but i think what happens is you know as, te- as technology progresses its cost comes down yep. and it gradually gets you know people have more access spread, to it yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but do, but by that stage that okay good it's good it's good that the cost came down but will that baseline cost level still be too high for for less privileged societies to have access to it well i don't know i mean because if, if you if you think about it from an evolutionary point of view i mean evolution is going to happen over such a long period of time that yeah. that sort of spread of technology will be like a you know in a blink of an eye really yes that's very true actually yeah that's true yeah because even things like whether you call two things different species or not uh it, it's There's no it's, like set time yeah, hey. yeah yeah so like when do you when when did when did humans and neanderthals become separate i mean we yeah. we first started separating probably like 800,000 years ago, yeah. but we continued to interbreed for a little while. And then right. probably over a f- couple of hundred thousand years, that, that, those, geno- that ge- those genomes kept getting exchanged. And then eventually we would have yeah. parted ways completely. That's right. But actually, to, to, to play devil's advocate to my own point, mm-hmm. if two... If, but if, <laughs> to if, argue with myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like with, with, when I was saying, so that'll be the point in Fork in the Road. And culturally, obviously, we have more power. I think things will change. But... If, you're, if you've got the Google chip and you're a super intelligent human being, you have a super intelligent human being that you mate with, you're still going to have a human child, aren't you? That's what, have, that's what I'm saying. Chip. Yeah, because it always yeah. has to be implanted. But yeah. again, but the chip will change the DNA. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Limitless with Brad Cooper. The chip will change the DNA? Yes. No, what no, the mean? chip will change the behaviour, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So like the... the um, it's, it's, have you seen Limitless? No, no. Oh, okay, it's about it's about this um, drug that allows you to access 100% of your brain. Okay. So it becomes incredibly smart, all this sort of stuff. True story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a friend of a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the end of it, right, so by the end of it, he'd come off the drug, massive withdrawal, didn't have to take the drug anymore, mm-hmm. but the synapses in his brain had changed the way that he could see the world. So we always had access to it. Yeah. So having this chip mm. for a few generations would change the behaviour of our evolution. So it's not that the chip would change, no, that's right. it's that the behaviour mm-hmm. would evolve. And with the synapses thing as well, would being, say, say we were that smart with the Google chip, would our oh, synapses yeah. in our head actually strengthen and even say after 50 years you took the chip out and you're 70 or 80 years old, you have a much more stronger, more powerful brain yeah, maybe. It depends on how, how, how long those things can, can actually persist yeah. and whether they stay around, right? And, and I think there's some evidence that that might happen, yeah. Right. Yeah. But actually, uh, one thing reminded... What, what you were saying about uh, you know, changing the DNA reminded me of... Because so, this discussion is basically assuming that these chips will, will make all the difference, but without any other... I mean, there'll be other advances, right? And one of the big things happening, that's happening now is, is genome editing. Yes. Right? So there's, yeah, so Isn't these that methods, shit amazing? Yes. Yeah, go in and you can, you can change a specific bit of DNA... Um, and you can you can do that to to different species, and there's talk of doing that in in humans as well. So so that that Ethical will actually make a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. is this the uh, this is are the Chinese doing that? Are they doing it behind the scenes? Oh, uh, I don't know. That's probably uh, 
You would have heard of rumours, right? You would have heard rumours. <laughs> yeah. Tell us the truth. Yeah. No, I'm not really. No, I'm not really aware of that. No. no. no I reckon they are. The yeah. 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 But, um, so yeah, that's actually fascinating. So have you seen Gattaca? No, I haven't seen Gattaca. No. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, you got to see Gattaca. Gattaca. I watched it just the other day. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen yet. GATC. Yeah, yeah. You to get around it, mate. Yeah. What are you doing, Tom? Come back in the show in a couple of months. Yeah, I reckon that's actually quite. So. To this, like at this point in time right now, can we decide on the eye colour of our children if we, if we, if it was legal to do so? Oh, I think it depends on. Oh no, we can. We yeah, can. We can. But uh, yeah, it's the legal issue. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Because because some of the some of our features are, are only controlled by a small number of genes, and it's it's fairly easy to you know to control <laughs> for those, that, right? Tweak that shit out. Yeah, but um, let's but, say I wanted to become. Uh, well, better endowed. Uh, could I probably switch the it's old? Too late, bro. It's too yeah. late. You got to be pre-born. Yeah. yeah, a lot of things to do with the penis shape. A lot of things to do with like size. A lot of things to do with size and like height and things like that. They're right. controlled by a lot of different genes, right? So <laughs> this is this is a big problem in, in in domestic animals, like trying to make your 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 cows like have more you know meat. Or whatever. <laughs> well, well, I don't I know if that's, I don't know if that's that, that useful for the butcher, but um, true. Yeah. Depends. But, Depends. Yeah, but um, but that's like been a, a, a an area of research in itself, just trying to. Uh, work out how to how to improve these features that are actually controlled by lots of different parts of the genome. And will that uh, cause deficiencies in other areas of the genome? Oh, it's possible because yeah. I mean, a gene's not just going to affect one thing in isolation. Well, that's it has what like, I'm saying. These the other effects, effect. yeah. The butterfly effect. Yeah. Sort of the butterfly effect, yeah. So what can we... So at this point in time right now, so like you just said, yeah, cool. How do I get a big dick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you can change the colour of eyes. Like, where does it... Where does the science... How far does the science go right now mm. with gene editing and gene yeah. splicing? Like, can we yeah. Co- yeah. control height? Can we control emotions? And like, you know, <sighs> am I going to be a good person, funny person, nice person, bad person? What I can think, we do? I, I right? think the links with like between the genome and and like behaviour are, are you know one further step removed. I yes. mean, it, it, the the physical features are a bit more obvious, a bit easier to to control. But uh, what one of the areas now is yeah. is is. Um, big, area, big questions is de-extinction, right? Bringing back extinct mm. species, and mm-hmm. genome editing is one of the solutions, like one of the one of the proposed ways to do this. So, for example, the woolly mammoth. Um, one one way to bring back the woolly mammoth. So there's a few ways. I mean, you can you can clone them. You can. Um, Made you a can... dinosaur with a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if they'll bring a mammoth, but uh... <laughs> just bang a chicken. <laughs> it's a dinosaur. Yeah, get well, a big foot. Uh, put him on an elephant's back. And... <laughs> Well, well, I guess you could call, a chicken is a dinosaur, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, or, or you can go in and edit the genome of, of like a, an elephant and to make it more like a mammoth, right? Yeah. To, to make it look really furry, yeah, hairy, yeah. woolly. Really woolly, I mean, yeah. <laughs> woolly being the opportune word. <laughs> yep. So, um, so we, we can't actually just straight use it. We don't have the genome of a, of a woolly mammoth just in its own right now. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So I we mean, could just bring them straight back though, couldn't we? Well, no, because it's not, it's not as simple as just... Because uh, I mean, you've alive. got no, uh, yeah, maybe like in Jurassic Park. It's yeah. like, turn the alive on. Oh, you weren't turning the alive on. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask about. I've always wanted to ask about. They look easy in Jurassic yeah. Park, yeah. But um, but it, even if you have the genome, it's only it's only part of the instructions, right? There's all yeah. these other effects, like uh, it's, it's called epigenetics, where it's it's these changes that occur even without any changes to the genome. And one of the examples is like all of your cells in your body have the same genome, pretty much, but. How does how does a cell know to become a liver cell or a brain cell or yeah. whatever, right? And that's all because of like switching genes on and off. And we don't know how that works in 
in a mammoth. Yeah. Oh, right. So the, you mentioned the Jurassic um, Park theory there. Is that a theory or is that pretty well based on evidence? Because it seems plausible. <laughs> well, well, the, the original idea I was... I in the movie. Yeah. It was a pretty coherent sort of story that they had. But it was all inspired by... So in the 80s, people thought they managed to get DNA out of these insects trapped in amber, right? Yeah. And the idea behind Jurassic Park is that... A mosquito bites this dinosaur, then it gets stuck in this amber, and then the amber forms this shield around it, yeah. and then you can get the dinosaur DNA out of the mosquito. But now we know that DNA doesn't survive for that long. Uh, the oldest DNA that's ever been sequenced is is probably about 700,000 years old, so less than a million, and that's under... Yeah. Like, that's if it's been frozen the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, but some, some people think they've gotten um, some protein out of, out of dinosaurs. So, really? Yeah, this research group... Um, so they studied collagen, which is um, yep. it's, uh, it's a really stable protein, and they reckon that they've gotten fragments of that collagen and worked out the, the sequence of the amino acids that make up that collagen. Really? Uh, bits of it from this, uh, I think it's almost 100 million years old, yeah. So could we not, so you said the, the furthest DNA sequence we've gotten back to is 700,000 years. Yep. Could we not therefore theoretically bring back some sort of pre-evolved sapien? Uh, yeah, well, we have we have all the like the genome data for for Neanderthals, right? So we, we do have the genome of Neanderthals. We also have we also know a lot of the epigenetics of Neanderthals um, because we know what what chemical modifications happen to the genomes as well. Mm. Uh, that's been studied, but I think we're still a long way off from that because there's a lot of um, you know even if you've got the genome, what do you do with it? Do you put it into a human cell? Yeah, and um, that that's going to be different from a Neanderthal cell. Yeah, mm. yeah. So you can't so. just grow it itself. No, no, yeah. uh, no. I guess you'd have to get like stem cells or something like that. But yeah. But there's also, I mean, there's a lot of ethical barriers as well. I know. <laughs> That's really the main wouldn't thing. that be fascinating if you could? Like, would you want to do that? Would um, you before? I don't or know against? about an ancient human. That would be that would be pretty. Um, there'll be a lot of ethical questions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. But in terms of like bringing back other extinct species, like a woolly mammoth, I mean, there's oh, a lot yeah. of. It's pretty controversial. Some people think it's it's immoral. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Scientifically, it's, it'll be interesting. But yeah. yeah. What what are the ethical concerns about bringing back a woolly mammoth? Oh, because you're only bringing it back by itself. It's got no no you know, uh, no one oh, else in its population. For the health and well-being of yeah. the woolly mammoth. Yeah, the environment's changed since since yeah. they were alive. Um, and what's the purpose? Is it just for us to gawk at, or yeah, or is it we'll for to study and see the behaviour? Oh yeah, I mean it'll be interesting from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So what about this thing? All right, so, so The Selfish Gene, this um, book by Richard Dawkins, mm-hmm. what, one of the things that I love, and I actually haven't read it, um, but I've just watched a lot of what he talks about on it, and um, I will read it. <laughs> but um, one of the things that, or one of the big topics, I guess, that he talks about is the, um, the way genes lead to different behaviour. And, and, you know, not necessarily is the case that if you have a gene, it automatically means A, B or C. And... This is getting into the, the sort of realm of the intertwining uh, considerations between um, nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to ask is, is what, what do you think about you know, certain DNA leading to behaviour or, or is, is it, sorry, certain genes leading to specific behaviours or is it much more about the DNA, the, 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 the genes um, facilitated by the, the culture or the, or the, the nature that you... Uh, find yourself in. Yeah, so there have been a lot of studies of different behaviours, like even like alcoholism, yeah. um, violence, and so on. And uh, and some, it's, I mean, it's 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 a lot of it's pretty controversial, and it's a lot of debate. So there's probably some genetic element to a lot of these behaviours, um, but a lot of it's shaped by upbringing and environment as well. Mm. So it's 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 probably, I mean, a lot of behaviours are probably a combination of both. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, because I, I think he, um, he he speaks about the gay gene. 
a lot. Okay. And like, you know, uh, is there a specific gene that was like, if you're gay, it's because you're just born gay or is it some sort of environmental factor yeah. that led you to that? Yeah. And they kind of say it's a combination of both. Yeah, or, I think that has a pretty large genetic element. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is a, that yeah. is quite a genetic element. Yeah. yeah. Because he was saying that um, there's, no, no, there's not necessarily such a thing as the gay gene, yeah. but it's kind of like this gene, if you want to call it the gay gene, the gay gene is present but with the right environmental circumstances leads to homosexual behaviour. Um, or is it something where it's just like, Simon Ho, you got the gay gene just around your liver, mate. Um, <laughs> you're going to be gay. <laughs> nice gay liver, mate. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's much more based around if you have a gay gene, you're gay, but the, the nature determines the degree of homosexuality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm, just, I'm just taking it's it's just not homosexuality. It's probably not as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As an example, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not as simple as that. I think. I think. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I'd. I'd be able to say enough about that. But mm. it, yeah, it's definitely a combination of 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 genetic, uh, genetic factors and upbringing. Yeah. So yeah. then, what are the intertwining um, relationships between um, nature versus nurture? Oh, well, well, almost. I mean, a lot of our a lot of our physical features and a lot of our behaviours have both a nature and a nurture component. Mm. So there's there's virtually, I mean, there's very little that actually is entirely because of our genetics. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's fair. <laughs> I find it fascinating though, because it's mm. like, I mean, what what if you, I don't know, you could have someone with the exact same gene, put them in two different places, and it's like. How similar is it? I mean, it can't be 50 50. Well, that, 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 I mean, that happens a lot in twin studies, right? So yeah. they, they get identic, genetically identical twins and who, are, who are raised in different families or different, different conditions, and mm. they look at, at, at you know, how similar they are and where, you know, what differences there, there are. Because if they have the same genetic background, then any differences, uh, presumably because of the environment that they grew up in or their, you know, the, the development. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Like, I, I remember going to a school with a bloke, getting, getting back onto the homosexuality and I'm not sure if he's gay or not but um, um, he grew up with four sisters or something like that and he just seemed more feminine mm. uh, you know like it's probably a little bit sweep of a bit of a sweeping statement but like I'd just be interesting to see if he'd grown up with four brothers they're all like presenting more masculine traits and things I don't mm. know yeah I thought you meant they were all just presenting in general. They were just presenting each other. Yeah. They were just banging each other. I've spoken about Andy Brady before now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, so what about some of the research you're uh, working towards at the moment now? Uh, well, a lot of my research deals with what's called the molecular clock. And that's just basically a way of, of looking at the genomes to work out the timescale of evolution. So, so when humans and chimps had, a, had an ancestor together... When, when humans and Neanderthals had an ancestor um, and looking at lots of different things that happened throughout Earth's history. So working out how quickly um, DNA mutates in different species and, and yeah, looking at the timescale of evolution. That's, that's, that's probably most of my research at the moment. Mm, yeah. mm, time. And so how quickly does, do we see evolution uh, evolving? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the, depends on the species because like in, in humans... Oh, so so the, one of the main uh, causes of mutations is, is when the genome is copied, right? And... And when we produce children, our genome has to get copied because yeah. it pass, passes on to the children. And the more frequently you have these um, generations, the more quickly your DNA is going to change over time. So like, if you think about a house fly, they go through generations every two weeks or so. Their genome is getting copied like 26 times Quickly. a year. Yeah. Uh, well, 26 times, at least 26 times a year. Yeah, yeah. Because they get copied many times. But, but humans will... will we, our generations are spaced apart about 25 years. So mm. we'd have... Um, 25 times 26 um, 
times uh, yes. fewer mutations than, than a fly if we if it's just like a kind of simple relationship. Yeah. So so yeah, that, that's one reason why we might have different um, rates of, of different rates genome of, change. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, should we uh, should we throw to six from six, Tommy? Yeah. Ready for so, this, uh, Simon? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Simon, so... You're not sure what it is, hey? <laughs> <laughs> Take your pants off, Pat. Yeah. Yeah. I think you heard dicks from dicks. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's what I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds song. a bit funny here. Yeah. Selective yeah. hearing. Yeah, but, um, that's right. Um, Talk about stress all month. They're up. So... <laughs> So um, we've got three questions from me. We know we've got to get you out of here, so we want to just, we mm. normally wrap up with three questions from me, three questions from Tommy. Yep. Yep. Um, I normally start us off. Ready to go? They're pretty easy. They're not too stressful. Yeah. So yeah. my first question is, your favourite travel destination on the planet, somewhere that you've been that you just highly recommend you love to get out to? Um, yeah, I've been to, I'd like to go to Japan. I like traveling to Japan. I've only been there once. I've been to Okinawa, which mm-hmm. is uh, an island that's it's actually closer to Taiwan than to the main islands of Japan. But yep. um, yeah, just the, the quality and the diversity of the food in Japan is, is pretty amazing. Great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good, good answer. Um, my second question is um, dream destination, top of your bucket list that you just you haven't been can't wait yeah that's a tough one because i mean as a biologist there's a lot of really amazing places with animals you know amazing animals and plants mm-hmm. um i guess for a long time one one place i've always dreamed about is is mount roraima which is uh it's this tabletop mountain in south america mm-hmm. it's um it's kind of on the border of three countries mainly mm-hmm. in venezuela yeah but it's um it, it's it's pretty big actually on the top so that the flat surface is is about a few dozen square kilometers but on, on every side, it's got these sheer cliffs of a few hundred meters, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. vertical cliffs. And there's only one way you can, you can get up this mountain without a climbing gear. Mm-hmm. And on top of that mountain, because it's so isolated, there's all these, um, these animals and plants that are found there and nowhere else in the world. So yeah. that'll be, that'll be pretty interesting. And I, I remember coming across this on a David Attenborough documentary mm-hmm. and, um, David. yeah, <laughs> and there's a, it, it rains most days of the year there. And, yeah. um, it was the inspiration. Well, mountains like this in South America were the inspiration for Arthur Conan Doyle's lost world where yeah. he thought that maybe there's some like prehistoric life that still yeah. lives up there. Yeah. And the movie up by Pixar. You know, oh, okay. Up? No, I haven't seen that. You've seen up? Yeah, I've seen up. Yeah, yeah the old man. Yeah, the old man. They yeah. go to the top of Roryama where yeah. they've got oh, right. all the different okay. species and stuff. All oh, right. Yeah, it's a Pixar movie that you'd love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd absolutely love You're it. It's on a mountain. It's a Pixar documentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's sick. So, my last question is um, any book that you like to recommend to people or you, you buy people for Christmas? It can be any sort of book, can be fiction, non fiction, can be biography. I guess um, there's a lot of good popular science books out there, and um, I've read a lot of you know Richard Dawkins, Stephen Jay Gould. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the lot of the books by them uh, are really uh, readable, really interesting. What's um, your favourite? If you had to pick one out of those two guys, God Delusion. Oh well, like <laughs> yeah, that's a controversial one. I like it is um, controversial. I like uh, Unweaving the Rainbow by Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Have you yeah. read um, Spots Magical Christmas? Uh, no. It's a, it's a Stephen Jay Gould. Oh, no, I, I think I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. Seen that. yeah, yeah. When you were four. <laughs> I only just yeah. read it. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's a talking dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah it's not that. Um, so, Simon, what do you like to do when you, um, when you have some spare time or some downtime? Spare time, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Or when you, a... when you, what, some of your hobbies. I should change that. Everyone's yeah. like, I'm uh, fucking busy. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess as a, as a, as a scientist, you know, my, my work is uh, kind of like my hobby. So yeah, I do great. that all the time. Mm. I guess in I, I do like I do like running, so yep. I, I'll run around. 
not not just to keep fit, but also I like um, getting to know the local area. So yeah. especially if you move to a new place, it's really mm. great to jog and get to know the, the local area. Yeah, it's yeah, great, yeah. yeah. Are you so you, you move around a lot or no, no, just just <laughs> you get really in the end. I moved around a few times because I, I like I went overseas to study and I and I worked in Canberra for a little while oh, before coming here. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so what about a an inspiration or someone you admire or look up to? Um, yeah, probably no one. Spe- oh, I guess I guess. Um, uh, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a cliche, but it would have to be my parents, you yep. know, first of all, because, um, you know, first generation of immigrants to the country and uh, yep. and I just can't imagine the sort of challenges they would have mm. faced, you know, like new country, new culture, language. Definitely. Um, and just having worked so hard to, to make, you know, life for, for the family and everything. Mm. So it'll definitely be them. And um, I guess anyone who, who makes those sort of sacrifices for, for the benefit of others or for some sort of higher goal. Yeah. 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 Altruism. Yeah. It's yeah. good. Um, and finally, mate, this is a tough question, but I'm going to put you on the pump here because um, I don't like... No, I'm um, <laughs> If you can invite three people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be and why? So who, three people that you just really want to pick their brain. Um, I guess one of the long-standing conflicts in evolutionary biology is between Stephen Jay Gould and Richard Dawkins. It'll be good to see them kind of debating each other. I mean, Stephen Jay Gould died uh, in 2002, but... Um, yeah, it'll be good to see them debating. They had a few what differences. Are their conflicts, yeah, yeah. So, so one of them that you you kind of mentioned the, um, so so Richard Dawkins is an outspoken atheist. Yeah. But Stephen Jay Gould kind of argued for a separation of science and religion. Thought that they couldn't really inform each other. Um, yeah. Completely. But there's still a place for religion. Uh, well, he said that that science couldn't speak about about the issues that religion dealt with. Um, really. Uh, yeah, he thought that he called them non-overlapping magisteria. That was his Ooh, term for it. I don't know about that. <laughs> that's my whole thing. With, I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm nowhere yeah. near as studying smart as those guys. But that's my whole thing with the agnosticism we were talking about before. Yeah, I think I think science mm. can clearly like negate a lot of things that religion can. But yeah, anyway. And and they had a few differences in terms of evolution. Stephen Jay Gould thought that a lot of there was a lot of chance element in in the evolution of life, whereas Richard Dawkins thought that. There's only a, a certain number of solutions that that life can 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 reach in evolution, and it will tend oh. towards those. So hmm. you get you get things like intelligence evolving in you know like in, in dolphins and humans, or in in in, in octopus as well. But um, whereas Stephen Jay Gould thought that a lot of it was just chance. You know, you get the asteroid wiping out dinosaurs or mm. wiping out whatever, and the, the there'll be new life forms taking taking their place. Wow. No chance. Yeah. So I think it's one all at the moment. <laughs> well, okay, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those oh, two? sorry, yes, yeah, so that's yes. two, yeah. Um, it'll be good to see what Charles Darwin thought of all the, all the progress we've made in, in yeah. evolutionary biology. That'd be but, a great conversation. I don't know, it'll be a bit serious. Uh, maybe um, you need a bit of comic relief. Jennifer Hawkins. <laughs> no, I don't I know. Maybe, she's hilarious. maybe, yeah. uh, maybe <laughs> nice a comedian. Richard Dawkins. <laughs> a comedian to moderate. <laughs> I think I'll lower, lower the tone a bit. I, I think we still want it to uh, we still want it to uh, to be a, an informative debate, but um, yeah. maybe a bit more lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Who would you, who's the comedian that you love? Uh, I don't know. Maybe who wants like, you to say him, mate? Yeah. Who wants you to say Tom Heard from Venture Radio? Uh, yep. Top pick. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. There is. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe Ricky Gervais or Steve Coogan. Oh, yeah. Oh, like Ricky yeah. Gervais, yeah. mate. Yeah. Ricky Gervais, How number good. one. Yeah. So you're an atheist. Well, like most evolutionary biologists, yeah. 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 Atheistic. They're most evolutionary biologists are pretty atheistic are they or? yeah yeah i mean if you look at the stats i mean more so than than physicists and chemists for example yeah uh, among scientists yeah 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 well mate that was the uh that was the show that was great finally um simon where can people find you anything you want to plug uh now's the time look look right into the camera <laughs> <laughs> oh well I, I run a research group it's it's got a long name molecular evolution 
Sorry, I've got it wrong. You don't <laughs> look right in the camera. If <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simon Hose, <laughs> X Machine. Molecular <laughs> Ecology, Evolution, and Phylogenetics Group uh, here at the University of Sydney. Yeah. And, uh, What's I'll the abbreviation? <laughs> MEEP. Oh, nice. M E P. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So all our research is on there. Yeah. Great. Yep. Great. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Simon. That was Maurice. great. Great. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And that's a wrap. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe. Also, um, if you enjoyed that, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe over Adventure Fit Travels YouTube channel. And uh, and yeah. Also, check out the show notes at www.adventurefittravel.com forward slash radio. All the show notes can be found there. And then don't forget to check out audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio for your free audiobook and 30 day trial. And last but not least, check out adventurefittravel.com for anything adventurefit travel related. 10% off, use the code red radio. See you next week.